Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up over the next 60 minutes or so, my guest today, Fabienne Kinsman from Handelsaichung, and also Oliver Streibus is here from the University of Zurich. What's caught your eye with the big weekend stories, Oliver? Well, the speech of Johnny Infantino, um, I should say, I feel very emotional. I feel I'm a woman. Excellent. Well, we'll uh, probably be delving into that. Here's a little clip of what uh, the Swiss, Swiss, sorry, the Swiss FIFA president Gianni Infantino had to say yesterday in Qatar. Today I feel uh, Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel uh, gay. Today I feel disabled. We'll be unpacking all of that, maybe also with our editor, Andrew Tuck, a little bit later. We'll also be going to Hong Kong to hear what's making headlines there. This is James Chambers, Monocle's Hong Kong bureau chief, and I'll be coming on a little later in the show to talk about the latest things happening in my part of the world. It's the 20th of November, 2022, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. And good morning from a very autumnal Zurich uh, this morning. That sort of first, yeah, I would say sort of nip of winter in the air, uh, as I said a little bit earlier. We have uh, Fabian Kinselman here uh, from Handelszeitung now. You have a new gig at the newspaper. So for our listeners who don't know Handelszeitung, weekly paper, uh, you would say one of the financial newspapers of record. Uh, the largest economic newspaper in Zurich or in In, Switz- in German speaking, well, Switzerland in general, because yeah, even uh, Swiss Romandie doesn't... Uh, get a look in in terms of having a paper of, of your size. Uh, tell us about uh, the new assignment uh, that you have at Handelszeitung. <laughs> I'm very excited. I joined them two and a half months ago. I'm their international correspondent. So I basically I'm covering, um, I'm still covering foreign politics, but more from an economic point of view. So I'm doing like macroeconomics and I'm I'm trying to travel as much as I can. So I just came back from Sharm El Sheikh this week. And yeah, very good. Well, we'll also be talking a little bit about what was happening uh, in Egypt uh, as as well. Also, Oliver Stribus is here. He's, uh, of course, looks after well, part of his patch anyway, is uh, political science uh, at the University of Zurich. Uh, good morning. Very nice to see you. Good and we now we now at least our listeners know how you're feeling this morning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're feeling uh, as, as you said, at the start, you're feeling like a woman uh, this morning uh, and you're feeling emotional. Anything anything beyond that on a Sunday morning? Caffeinated, I hope. I mean, you're yeah, a bit, a bit. I also feel uh, weak because when I came here driving my bicycle and I came across a man who was running barefoot and he was apparently wet because he just came from swimming in the river. Yeah, that that would sort of really, uh, on, on a Sunday morning, make everyone feel uh, rather belittled, I would say. That's hardcore. And he was he was actually running. He was running barefoot. Right. Do you th- I have to sort of somehow break this down as well. Running barefoot because it was also part of his regime or his feet were cold and he was just trying to get home quickly. I, I didn't have time to talk to him. It, it, it didn't look as if he wanted to go home quickly. It felt like he was just running. It's impressive. Well, this is uh, maybe one also for uh, our editor, uh, Andrew, at Tuck uh, as well, or editor-in-chief Andrew Tuck, uh, even, who's uh, in London, uh, someone who I can say does not go anywhere n- near Lake Zurich uh, unless it's really sort of hovering around 25 or 26. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Tyler. And unless when we, we get out, there's a nice glass of wine waiting on <laughs> at the party as well. Those, those are the rules. Those are the rules about cold water swimming. 
<laughs> so, Andrew, there's, uh, there's, there's much for us to, to get through. Uh, would, would you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you start because there's two things. On one, if we want to link this uh, to maybe a bit of a Swiss story, we have uh, the lead story in, in the Sunday Times uh, today uh, talks about really uh, the UK trying to look for a Swiss-style uh, deal, as they call it, with the EU. Um, this is what's leading the Sunday Times. Or should we just uh, jump into the World Cup? Because, uh, of course, I know that uh, football is your beat about, about as much as it is mine. <laughs> well, let's do, let's let's do with a safer territory first of all. Uh, a Swiss deal. Well, first of all, we know that the Swiss deal with the EU has hardly been frictionless, but this is apparently about frictionless uh, trade and some common sense coming perhaps to ministers. They believe that relations with the EU have have thawed and are, are calmer than they've been for months. And if you want to finally settle this Northern Ireland Protocol, for example, that there is an opportunity perhaps to to do that in the coming months. But out of this calmer air. And perhaps Rishi Sunak, who is in in the end a man who seems to look at government as a as business and and getting business in in the in the financial sense done, then I think that he sees also an opportunity to get frictionless travel and trade rather back with the EU because there's nobody lining up to have a, a, a mega deal with us around the world. The US is, certainly isn't interested. And just this week, we've seen the unpicking of a, a deal that was done with Australia with now ministers who were part of the negotiating team who have now left to do other roles saying it's a disaster for British farmers and that some of the, 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 the measures put in place will destroy sheep farming, for example, in the UK. So, so, Andrew, there's, there's two parts to this, because on one side, as you said, trade is a big component of it. And then the other side of all of this as well, of course, is, is the, well, free movement of people, certainly uh, between uh, the UK, EU, uh, and, and also some Schengen members uh, who aren't EU, like Switzerland, uh, of course. So if, if, we, if we look at this, you, you can't break the two apart, because obviously business travel is part of trade, particularly in a, in a modern world where you're talking about IP and many things that are not not being loaded onto trucks. Uh, this is also part of it um, a, as well. And I guess there must be, I would say, somewhat cynically in the background, uh, you know, a nagging sense that uh, this could be a bit of a win, uh, certainly for Rishi's government, uh, if he's able to pull this off, because as we know, it's, it's very difficult, uh, certainly for, US, uh, for UK tourists in many corners of Europe at the moment. Well, it's a nightmare. I, you know, if you try and list as a, an ordinary person the places in your day where you've seen a gain from Brexit, I, you know, I would struggle to think of one. But if you think of all the things that make trade and, and your life more complicated, then I can list numerous. And some for us as a, as a company, but just you know, personally, if you go to Europe, you're in an, in an endless queue. You're now quizzed about what, why you're here, what you're doing in the country. All of these things just you know, deter and delay business. So they're not good for brand UK. And I think that Rishi Sunak acknowledges that it's not going to be a quick win because this freedom of movement is the sticking point. It's back to the days of Cameron hoping that he would have been able to negotiate a better deal with the EU that could tail freedom of movement. But the truth is, look, you know, we don't have freedom of movement. But we have hundreds, literally every day, hundreds of young Albanian men arriving on dinghies on, on British shores who then go through the, the, the lengthy, dull, 
immigration process to determine whether they're allowed to stay or they leave. So we, we, you know, we don't control our borders now. And this was the thing that, you know, that was trumpeted by the Tories when they, they championed this departure from the EU. And it's, it hasn't, that hasn't worked either. And on the other side, they said they would get you know, immigration down to tens of thousands. It was acknowledged this week in an OBR, the Office of uh, Responsibility for Budgets, that they, they reckon that 200,000 plus people will come legally into the UK to work every single year. And that had been on a pegged to be a hundred thousand maximum. So already, we're, we're taking people from all around the world because we desperately need people to come and work here. So even there, it didn't work. Fabian, maybe uh, if you were advising uh, number ten right now, uh, and and looking at what this negotiation has been like so far between Bern and Brussels uh, at the same time as Andrew was saying at the start, you know this has been no cakewalk either. So they they probably need to brace themselves uh, that of course it's not going to be open arms in Brussels uh, because. It, in many ways, Switzerland is part of Schengen. There is, you know, a lo- you know there's certainly freedom of movement across borders. Excellent. Labour is something different. But uh, would you be cautioning uh, to maybe uh, take it step by step here? Yeah, I think like number 10 can learn a lot from the negotiations between Switzerland and the EU. There's a saying like, um, you can't have the cake and eat it all, right? Like, you Du kannst nicht voll von Zweckli haben, they say in, in Switzerland. And um, the EU will certainly prevent um, the UK from getting like any deal without like also accepting some of the values and some other frameworks. So that's what it's all about. Oliver, from, yeah, from your point of view uh, as well, because this is in a way, it's a hot topic right now in Switzerland. Oh, it, in a way, it always is. I mean, you only have to jump into uh, the economic or political pages, domestic pages uh, of, of the Swiss press and see that this is an ongoing topic. Uh, so this is going to be a bit of a long haul. And <laughs> knowing how sort of uh, the revolving door of British prime ministers, uh, I would imagine Mr. Sunak will probably be out the door by the time they're getting any type of momentum in Brussels. Yes, it's true. It's going to be tough, but um, already the signals he gives, I think they can already do something good to uh, Britain and the British economy. So uh, showing that um, the Conservatives uh, put economy now again top on the agenda and not migration is a, is a strong signal. Um, I think this is important in itself. Mm. Let's um, maybe uh, we'll change tack now. And Andrew, we're going to it's, it's time to, uh, to, to head, head, head to Doha, not, not, not you, we're not sending you to Doha. But we're just finishing. Uh, we have another what 48 hours to go, Andrew, until we send off our December January issue to press. And of course, the big feature. Uh, I don't want to give away the cover, but might as well. Uh, it is a. It's our annual uh, focus and feature. It's our global soft power ranking. So if we put ourselves uh, in the position of the the ruling family uh, in in Qatar and looking at everything uh, that has been in the press over the past uh, few days. From a soft power point of view, uh, Andrew, how's it playing out, at least uh, from your perch? Well, I think we have to remember that it is a World Cup. And and what's been fascinating is uh, when we did the soft power survey this year, we we came to realise that soft power has orbits of influence these days. You know, that in the past, maybe some countries would be able to have global influence with their soft power plays. But the, the breaking up this kind of archipelago world means that actually some soft power only travels a certain distance. So it's unlikely, for example, that Russian soft power 
even if they had an attempt at it, would would work in in the UK, for example, at the moment. And it's the same with you know China and the Confucius Institute. Th those things just don't seem to travel in in the way they did four, five, six years ago. So I, I think when you come to Qatar, you have to think that in the West, I think it's been a pretty much of a disaster. It's been dragging a spotlight onto every single nook and cranny of the the way they. They hire people, the, the way they treat my, my, my migrant workers, uh, the, the idea that cash will win you out, whatever happens, that you'll make footballers play in, in the wrong time of year, in unseasonable weather, just because you, you, you've got a bit bigger wallet than someone else. So all of that has been a soft power, kind of like pretty much own goal here in, in the West. But beyond that... I think even if the, many of these migrant workers come from Southeast Asian countries, for example, where they 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 aren't that well treated, I think actually beyond the Middle East, you'll find that it does have a soft power impact. People will not even have known where Qatar was, and now suddenly they will be looking at it afresh. And I think this is what there was, this, this disastrous speech yesterday was trying to hint at, saying, look, look, you know, we in the West, we have a certain narrative, but there is another one. Yeah, it, let's say it, it was a little bit uh, clunky, and uh, we, we have uh, we have a, a few clips. And in case uh, you're just joining us now, uh, maybe we just uh, want to hear um, maybe a little snippet uh, more of uh, what Mr. Infantino had to say. So let's start with the migrant workers, if you allow me. We are told many many lessons from some Europeans from the Western world. I'm European. Actually, I am European. I think for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world, we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years before starting to give moral lessons. That was uh, Gianni Infantino, their head of uh, FIFA. Uh, Oliver, your uh, reflection on that, and there's, there's, many, there's many more. And of course, this was a story that broke across the wires yesterday. It was immediately uploaded everywhere, it sort of became the, the, one of the defining features of, of the weekend. Uh, your, your impressions of that, was that just bad speech writing? Because in a way, you can, tr you, you, sort of, you can unpack elements, uh, as Andrew was saying, and you can see what he was trying to say, but the delivery wasn't exactly outstanding. Yeah, I think it was a weak speech, and, and it's also true it was not addressed at, um, at the West. So, um, yes, but, but I mean, it was really weak. His arguments, I don't know who wrote this, this speech, but... I, it seemed, I mean, it felt like he was freestyling, but who, who knows? Oh, no, I, and it was, so, no, it was so calculated that everyone noticed how, how calculated it was with these long pauses and so on. But, but no matter, I mean, if you looked at the speech, it was just really not... Uh, you can make the argument that the West should not uh, tell other countries how they have to, what their culture should be and, and how they, their system should work and so on. But it, it was just not a, a good argument for this. Um, yeah, it was just it was really just a bizarre talk. I'm sorry. Fabian, from, from your point of view, I mean, looking at it with in your, your, your international business lens and also maybe looking at it from... Switzerland, which of course is home to many multinational organizations as well. Uh, of course, they're multinational. They sit in Switzerland. Of course, Mr. Infantino, as he said, uh, you know, son of migrants, he's, he's, he's a dual passport holder, both Italian and, and Swiss, uh, was trying to make a bit of a point. But it also is this good for brand Switzerland as well. Well, it might not be a problem for that long anymore because they might even move. Infantino already moved to Qatar and there are like some hints um, that 
the whole fever might move. Mm. Sepp Blatter just said that last week. So, um, but yeah, it's certainly not not good that they are like they are behaving like this and they are like connected to Switzerland. And would that sort of be a sort of a happy ending uh, in a way, given, uh, of course, you know, you talked about what happens when you have bags of cash, uh, but also it's not that FIFA has also been without its uh, its own problems uh, as well over the past uh, decades, uh, that suddenly they would not be sitting uh, in, uh, in Switzerland any longer, but uh, would find themselves in Doha. Well, I imagine there's quite a few uh, people who have been involved in FIFA in the past who might be quite delighted that there would be less regulation and, and fewer tax authorities are kind of looking at the way that deals are done. But I was also struck you know, by the speech yesterday you know, that I think we find it very jarring even now, even though we know there are, there are people who, with, with wise brains who follow the world of football, we find it jarring when someone tries to be a little bit philosophical about football and its place in the world. You know, and I, you, you go back, back you know, I know there's this famous quote about Albert Camus about you know, football being the university of life. And you see this on T-shirts and things. And, and here in the, the UK, people used to go crazy about Eric Cantona, this French footballer who made these kind of hard to decipher kind of philosophical deep conversational points but in the end the, the, the footballers do need to try and explain what, what their role is in the world it's just a shame that this time he did it in such a, a, a strange way but I love the idea of him at the Christmas party singing I'm every woman anyway <laughs> yeah, I wonder what that is uh, is going to look like, and, and if any of those images will. Like, I want to uh, maybe open it up uh, a little bit. You know, Oliver. On one side, the focus has gone on on Qatar. A lot of uh, you know, is, well, I mean, migrant workers is is one component, um, and then obviously, you know, the topic of of gay rights uh, as as well would be another one. You could almost sort of say they're sort of parallel because you know the, the focus has been on Qatar but if you look around the neighborhood as well Qatar is not alone I mean we only have to to cross into yeah I mean whether we go to the UAE whether we go to Saudi th- things and 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 even to the broader Middle East neighborhood things aren't radically different elsewhere of course suddenly though just Qatar is in in the spotlight of course but it's like the worst possible moment now of the uprising in Iran no now the the opposition in Iran would really need support, uh, moral support from the West. And what he did was just exactly doing the opposite. So I think the, like Iran now, but also if you look at surveys, we do have surveys from these countries which are pretty good in quality. Okay, they, they might be on average more conservative, but they are clearly not agreeing. I mean, the majority of the people in these countries are clearly not agreeing with these completely patriarchic and authoritarian um, Values. So these are not values of this region. These are values of a few uh, very powerful men. Fabian. And actually, what, what you have to keep in mind is that Qatar might not be like the worst country over there. So, for example, the U.S. named them like an important strategic partner. And they, they clearly, they are orienting themselves clearly more to the West than other countries in this area do. Mm. I mean, Andrew, we've also seen this has been, uh, you know, over, over the past few days, we've also seen you know, immunity, uh, of course, uh, given uh, to, to MBS uh, also uh, in, uh, in Saudi Arabia as, as well. And, you know, I, we go back to also 
business talks uh, at the same time. This is, of course, what the World Cup is is all about. Though I'm sure if you were sitting uh, running the brand at Budweiser, you may not be thrilled. But of course, it was a lot of it was great press for Budweiser uh, over, over the past uh, few days. So we can we can look at this with with yes, uh, yeah, through the lens of, of bleeding hearts and wanting to do the right thing. Uh, but at the same time, there is a pragmatism, and particularly when you talk from a, a strategic point of view. These countries, uh, of course, are very, very big customers for the likes of Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, and many others. Look, look in the end, you know, especially at the moment, we, we, we need oil and gas from these nations here in the West, and there's no way that the, 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 the relationship would be permanently ruptured. And, 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 and in return, they, they, they do need arms and weapons from us. So you, you're right, Tyler. I think that the relationship you know, in the end has to persist and, and, and continue. And it doesn't matter, though, if on either side, I think it's a good thing that both sides feel some ability to express what they're what, what their concerns are, even even in public. So it'll, it'll be in, interesting. But I think the other th- fact is that you know, what's interesting about these big major sporting events is when there's a lot of you know, controversy in the run-up to them, the minute that first ball is kicked, for example, in the World Cup, the camera lens is switched to the pitch. So over the next 10, 20 days, as the, the, the matches unfold, then we'll begin to see whether whether the mood music changes and if they if they pull off a successfully run games then perhaps there's something they can they can gain from this at the end well andrew i'm not a big reader of the daily mail but i saw that the the lead story yesterday was also and i think you probably saw the images as well they're probably also not going to win any you know core hospitality awards because you see those photos of the porta cabins uh with the you can't even say hastily arranged furniture, uh, but this is—I mean, this this almost looks like you know where camp workers were were staying, and they just went and tarted them up. They probably put in a, you know a, a big uh, order with a self-assembly furniture company we might know, uh, and then voila, you have a porta cabin with uh, with shonky air conditioning. Oh god, they look—they look really awful. They're, they're so tiny and grim-looking. And inside, you know, you, I, I saw the, the the gentleman who posted the pictures. You know, you get some bottled waters, but it, it does look like a, a a kind of maybe the migrant workers were, were tipped out somewhere even less salubrious to make way for these people. But anyway, and they can't get the beer either, Tyler. You have to sympathise. Well, I was going to say these the, all of these people who who are coming in, whether they're from uh, you know flying from Rotterdam uh, or from uh, the north of England or wherever they're coming from, it'll be interesting to see. But the, you know, Fabian, there was a story in, in Blick today, and as, as Andrew just mentioned a bit earlier, that uh, when that first ball is kicked, and so it said, there's also a parallel narrative even within the story in in Qatar right now as well. There's just still there's football there, and so we can talk about politics all you want, but there are already lots of fans who might even be happy in their hot porta cabin. They're just happy to be there for for the World Cup. Uh, and so, in a way, do you think this, when it's when all said and done, will Qatar come out better because they happen to win? Just people suddenly who live, you know, maybe uh, in in parts of Argentina where it was not part of their uh, maybe daily language to sort of talk about Qatar, uh, it's on everyone's lips suddenly. Uh, yeah, that might be the case actually. So I think it's not about like we 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 should stop talking about that like. This World Cup is happening in Qatar now. It's it's just about like how is it going to happen? How is it going to unfold? What are we going to talk about the next twenty days? And I think we will see lots of signs also on the playing field, like the the rainbow flags on the and like lots of the brands on the tricots will be like 
blackened sort of so i think this will be become a big topic and no one can ignore it mm. uh, your uh, prognosis uh, for how you see this unfolding oliver uh, i mean i think the end is going to play out for qatar uh, qatar will be as, just as you said i mean there is this criticism in the west and this is before it started so it's it's not running perfectly but in the end it's a huge event everyone talks about uh, qatar and knows where it is so it's, it's going to work mm. i have no doubt it's going to work and just before we, we go, I, I want to come and uh, just uh, back to our, our, our soft power survey. We're not going to give away the winners, uh, obviously, but I want your reflections on it. I guess the other side, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, well, Mr. Infantino and many others also pointing out the hypocrisy. This is probably also not, is, as maybe as upset and outraged as many people are when it comes time for people to book their holidays from Europe to get back to see family in, in Australia uh, because they want to go to, to Bali uh, on January 2nd, when it comes to actually sort of searching on kayak for tickets or wherever you may be going, if people say Qatar uh, pop up and it's a connection through Doha uh, and it's the best price, uh, they're probably also going to be voting with their credit card, no? Completely. The, 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 the carriers from the, the Gulf region have done an incredible job, actually, at promoting what it means to be from there because you know they represent on board the fact that these countries can only exist or are dependent on people coming from all around the world so they, they're proud and they're confident that actually when you get on pl on the plane they will say we have people speaking 12 different languages for example working on the plane today so they they, they know that they that the positive side of their brand values is that they are this 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 potentially melting pot even if it happens in slightly clunky ways on the ground but slightly smooth ways up in the air and just uh, on our soft power survey uh, 2022 uh, 2023 uh, does does aviation uh, play in this when we look at, at at brands it's not just what happens on 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 playing fields uh, etc et and are there were there new metrics introduced uh, this year for our ranking well, in, in a slight nod to what's happening in COP, you know, we, we, we did look at the ambitions of countries to both lead globally by best practice, whether that's a country like Japan uh, giving away technology or the, the Danes building um, wind turbines. The role of these countries in, in, in promoting a, a more equitable world through trade and through uh, science. And you know, we came back to some of the the, the stalwarts. You know, what what does your media industry do? What does your film industry do? How many people have, did you have win, winning Grammys or Oscars in, in in the previous years? Because what's interesting is, even though we may not like a country in our minds because of a particular leader, underneath there is normally this 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 bedrock of of really important cultural institutions that continue, nevertheless, no matter what the mood music is coming from the the parliament in that nation. Andrew, just before we go, um, speaking of, of soft power, uh, we're, we're heading to one of our, our, our soft power uh, players will be, uh, we're um, Lisbon bound uh, on, on Tuesday for a bit of a book signing. Yes, and, and, and how great is this? So we, 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 the, the book has been selling like very warm, just made pastel donata very, very fast. And um, we're delighted to be uh, taking a whole tray of them around to offer to people on Tuesday and much, much more. And, and to encourage people to take out subscriptions because this is a really important time of year for every media brand. This gives us a, a good bit of wind in our sails as we go into next year. So if you, you would like to join us in Lisbon, you just have to go to the event section at monocle.com or you can email our colleague Hannah Grundy and uh, we will do our best to uh, fit you into the party on Tuesday. And it's going to be a, a really 
well, I think it's going to be a, a really doozy, wonderful party. Indeed, it feels like sort of the first of, of many, uh, which uh, are going to kick off indeed uh, on, uh, on, on Tuesday. Andrew, I will see you there. Uh, it's just uh, gone uh, 31 uh, minutes past the hour, a little bit late for the news headlines, but I believe Emma Nelson is still there. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. A deal has been struck at the COP27 climate conference. Almost 200 countries agreed to launch a fund to help nations worst hit by climate change. The World Cup begins later today in Qatar, among claims that it's the worst PR disaster in FIFA's history. It starts after a lengthy and ill-judged rant against the media by the FIFA president Gianni Infantino. A giant panda given as a gift to Taiwan by China has died. 18-year-old Tuan Tuan and his breeding partner Yuan Yuan were given to Taiwan in 2008 when relations with China were more cordial. And the governor of Tokyo has urged people to wear a turtleneck this winter to stay warm and to reduce energy consumption. Yuriko Kuike said that wearing turtleneck jumpers can help reduce energy bills. Warming the neck has a thermal effect, apparently. This will save electricity. She also said that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, was taking a lead in wearing turtlenecks. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler in Zurich. Thanks very much, Emma. Are you uh, sporting a turtleneck this morning? Yes, of course I am. And I'm wearing a Japanese one. (laughs) Good. (laughs) A a, a sort of caramel-coloured cashmere number. Uh, Enjoying Japanese soft power, put it that way. Excellent. Um, now, we do have to ask the, the, the mm. question. Listeners will know that whenever there's a major sort of global event, etc., yes. uh, your living room gets turned into uh, something that tries to sort of mirror what might be happening on television. So has your child gone and recreated uh, one of the uh, stadiums in Qatar in your living room? Not as yet. Um, I'm not quite sure authorization has been given by the parents yet, but... Uh, given that you've come up with the idea and given the fact that he might be listening, I think you may have started something that I will be unable to stop. <laughs> I, I can imagine that there's bed sheets and all kinds of things okay, being pulled down. Do, for... How do we do it? How do we do it? We've got, we've got, we've got, you started this idea. Well, listen, I'm not sure what your inventory of furniture looks like in, in your living room, but you know, we have to. There has to be some sort of canopied uh, ceiling. So I'm thinking we yeah. do have to get we have to get the bed sheets down. Yes. Um, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 definitely thinking. You know, maybe there was astroturf or something from a, a former balcony uh, somewhere yeah, that might have that. to that might have to be employed. There are. Certainly, uh, so, a lot of footballs in the lounge. I know and, that. And as, and as long as yeah, as long as enough uh, extra footballs. If there's two televisions, I know you're a television household. You know, maybe one at either end of the living room for the fans to watch. Something, something like we'll that. Have to anyway, set up a goal as well. Aren't we? Send, send us some pictures <laughs> we uh, when you, when you get a moment. We're we're heading to Hong Kong uh, in a moment, but just uh, before that, uh, Emma, you were talking about, of course, uh, yeah, at least one level of agreements that have been reached uh, at COP27 in Sharm El Sheikh, mm. uh, and and I'm just I'm very happy to say that uh, that. And you're just back from Sharm el Sheikh now, and also sporting a turtleneck, which I'm sure you weren't wearing in Sharm el Sheikh. Maybe you were, though. Um, we're, actually, that's a good question. You know, at a, you know, we were thinking you're in Sharm el Sheikh, where you know normally you go outside. It's 32, 33 degrees. Uh, of course, then you know you go inside, and it's you know it's 18 degrees. Or were they trying to be a little bit politically correct and say, no, let's keep everything at 25 degrees? And you might have needed the or not the turtleneck. Uh, you wish, you wish. I, I was wishing uh, during I've been there for the ten for ten days um, that I brought more jackets for inside because they just cooled it down like crazy. 
it was it was absurd. Now, I don't want to get w- wade into this whole hypocrisy discussion, <laughs> but you know, you do think about it. Of course, the world oh, you know, has 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 of course flown into this. You know, we are of course big believers in face to face dialogue and and discussion. So I I get it. Uh, but did was there any attempt in terms of the organization? So on one side, you said they kept everything super cold. Uh, yeah, and 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 again, we we don't want to sort of this is a well meaning event on one side, but how much was actually practical on the ground in terms of also just pushing the sort of the, the appropriate message um it it i don't want to like make up for anything so it certainly was not a sustainable event in itself like the, the presidency clearly had no focus on that mm. uh, and when you think about maybe what had been achieved uh, mm-hmm. on on the sidelines uh because obviously we have headline and i know you're giving <laughs> yeah. you're ex- exhaling air there uh, just difficult or or did you see sort of shoots of saying this was an alliance of countries that you know maybe not today but over the next 36 months or something uh, you know might actually you know end up being a force within the organization Oh, there definitely will be. I mean, there, there certainly have been alliances like the EU, the, the US have been there with a huge delegation and they, they certainly will team up. But I think like the outcome is close to catastrophic and the way to get there was kind of a drama. I followed it a whole night. There's like a WhatsApp chat for the Swiss journalists there. And um, then the plenary session where like at three in the morning and the Swiss delegation gave a press conference at like six in the morning and the deal which like the, the covered text which came out is just not as good as it could have been. Mm. Uh, we will um, come back to COP a little bit later in the program, but I'm very happy to say it's uh, it's 10.36, almost 10.37 here in Zurich, but we're heading to Hong Kong uh, to speak to our bureau chief there, uh, James Chambers. Uh, James, good afternoon. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, I can uh, hear sort of the, the, the slight din of uh, Hong Kong uh, in, in the background. Uh, James, we've, uh, of course, had a lot of stories uh, Certainly, from uh, the the other side of of the border, um, as soft as that border may may be now, about uh, yeah, a gentle um, yeah easing of some measures. But at the same time, we've also seen um, yeah, threats or also uh, you know new new lockdown measures um, put into play. Big question, uh, but maybe just uh, put the region into context, at least from a an opening up uh, or how you might see it over the next sort of you know, three months, because a lot of people have been saying, you know, maybe we might see some type of fast easing as we move towards an economically important period and and one which is probably needed when we think about, of course, uh, Chinese New Year. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you've got to always take what the official line in Beijing with a bit of pinch of salt, uh, because they're Everyone's saying uh, from Beijing that they're steadfastly sticking to this uh, zero COVID policy. But if you speak to people on the ground, uh, they seem to have a much clearer idea of of what's going on. And they're expecting things to to now continue gradually uh, easing uh, in China. Um, And they they, think they're looking towards March, April next year when uh, it it might become possible again to consider visiting um, China. Um, and obviously, this has come after the president um, secured his uh, historic third term, and it is what a lot of people were expecting to happen. Now that President Xi Jinping feels very secure 
um, he can start, um, you know, easing off on, on the COVID restrictions. So um, I th we're expecting it to, to, to go towards an easing, but I think it's going to be very bumpy because uh, what the central government says has to be interpreted at the provincial level, um, and that can get very, very messy. Mm. Let's stay and um, we'll maybe head to the broader neighborhood. Uh, of course, we were just talking to Fabian. She's just back from Sharm el-Sheikh. Of course, at the same time, uh, we've had uh, APEC uh, underway or APEC summit underway in uh, in Bangkok uh, as well. Uh, very, of course, important high profile meetings or meeting um, with uh, between uh, Beijing and Washington. Uh, your take on that? Yes, we'll have, we've had a bit of uh, summit fatigue in, in, in Asia. We've had uh, the ASEAN meeting, then we had the G20 in Indonesia, and now it's APEC in, in Bangkok. Um, so it's all come to a, uh, it's coming to a close now, but you know, from, from the perspective of, of most Asian countries, it's, it's been a, a very good week. Uh, and that all started last Monday with that uh, meeting between President Xi and President Joe Biden of the US. Um, you know, that was surprisingly uh, cordial, uh, and it seems like the, you know, the two big superpowers uh, are, have decided to kind of walk back from all the, uh, the war talk um, and their intent on, um, you know, developing better relations. And, you know, it was very interesting uh, to see President Xi, who was in Bangkok, meeting with um, the US Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, Joe Biden wasn't there because he was hosting his granddaughter's wedding at the White House. Um, so it was it was it was it sends a signal that you know the leader of the, of China is is willing to meet um, you know the vice president of the U.S. so soon after meeting Biden, and mm. you know, they didn't have a very big chat. Uh, but that uh, you know reading what the, what was said between them, it was just kind of reiterating how both sides want to you know keep communications open uh, and make sure that they kind of. They compete, but uh, don't go, uh, don't do anything more than that. Mm. Let's uh, stay with another, uh, at least uh, China, China themed uh, story as well. Of course, it was it was in the, the news headlines uh, a little bit earlier. But uh, of course, this is uh, about uh, the panda, which was uh, given to Taiwan as a gift, uh, has 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 died. Um, and uh, but how does this type of story, because obviously, we know, the importance of pandas uh, in the region, even the, the, the diplomatic uh, symbolism uh, around it. Uh, what's uh, the South China or, or others or, or Taiwan News maybe saying this morning? Well, yes, this is a, a, a panda that was gifted from from Beijing to to Taipei back in two thousand eight when when the the two had uh, much warmer relations. Um, so I guess it's it's been a symbol of the kind of the the closeness of those cross strait ties back then. And so you might you might see uh, that the death of Tuan Tuan today or yesterday actually uh, as maybe a bit of a sad moment uh, because obviously uh, China and Taiwan don't have those same warm uh, friendly relationships anymore but actually on both sides um, you know it's being recognized uh, uh, you know, the panda is being recognized as you know as an important diplomat who uh, you know has symbolized a lot of the the, the close ties that, that these two places do share um, and and you know even the the state the state media in in, in China is you know it, 
issuing condolences and, and uh, people on, on social media. Uh, 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 it's all very kind of warm and, and, and fuzzy. There's no, there's no blame being apportioned. I mean, the panda led a very good life in Taiwan. It lived to 18 years old, which apparently is, is, you know, is quite, quite a good age for a panda. It uh, bore two children, which I hear is quite productive for a, for a panda too. So, um, you know, it, it is a, it's sad that it, it has passed away, but actually it's not being used um, as, a, as a moment to kind of bash each other. It's actually just a kind of a, a moment to, to remember that the two places do share a lot in common. Mm. James, just before we go, I'm going to give you a choice. We can either head to, to Kuala Lumpur and, uh, of course, uh, talk about uh, the general elections, of course, which took place yesterday, or we can, of course, uh, talk uh, rugby. I'll, I'll give you the pick. Uh, well, we can, given that uh, we've been talking so much football on the, on the show today, um, we, you know, I'm happy to go to, to talk about a bit of rugby. Um, you know, this is a, a story that seems to be, uh, keeps going in Hong Kong. The, you know, rugby's a big sport here. Um, and the, uh, the national team went to play South Korea last week. Uh, and as is the way before international games, they played the, the anthems and, and raised the flags. But uh, the, the Korean hosts played, um, instead of playing the Chinese national anthem, which is normally played, uh, they played the, um, a song called Glory to Hong Kong, which is actually an anthem that became very popular with the protesters in 2019. You know, it's a very pro-Hong Kong, anti-Beijing kind of anthem. Um, that uh, caused uh, a lot of, uh, a bit of a ruckus uh, here in, in Hong Kong amongst the government. Um, and they've been kind of delving into it a bit more, and it seems like it's happened um, a, f a few more times this year as well. So um, it's kind of a, a nice little uh, warning for, for events in, in Qatar over the next 20 days about how careful you have to be, especially, the, you know, the Koreans were blaming it on an intern. So if you've got any interns working in Qatar whose, whose job <laughs> is, it, is to, to, pick, to pick the anthem, um, I guess they'll, they'll now be a little bit more, um, uh, pay a little bit more attention. Yeah, I was going to say, or they, they need to have a, a fast track to, to, to get to the airport uh, ra rather uh, speedily. Uh, James Chambers, uh, our bureau chief, also our panda diplomatic correspondent uh, in Hong Kong uh, there for us. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday. When we come back, we're heading to Lisbon. Stay with us. You're back with Monocle on Sunday, just 10.46 uh, here in Zurich. Oliver Stuyves is with us from the University of Zurich. Also, Fabian Kinzelman from uh, Handelszeitung. Okay, I just want to go back. Well, maybe actually, Oliver, I want to go to you because just you reflect, maybe you, you heard a little bit earlier, the COP27 uh, topics, uh, what was discussed, uh, and maybe obviously a rather sort of, you know, weak uh, announcement. I think probably everyone was thinking, it's already been the case uh, for many nations, but now we've, we've seen, obviously, that there is a directive that there will be a level of support from countries most impacted uh, from climate change. Uh, it's a little bit of like, yeah, of course, moment. Uh, but it was also just going back to also what James was saying as well, that there's a little bit of almost... Yeah, summit fatigue, all these summits sort of, you know, piled in now because they couldn't happen uh, earlier. Uh, but uh, from the position of someone uh, looking uh, looking after uh, a next generation of uh, maybe politicians or people who are involved in, in policy, how important you know, are these moments? Because yes, you can have lots of people, lots of plenary sessions, lots of people working towards a goal. But if, if we don't have something tangible at the, at the end of it, uh, yeah, how, how does that sort of affect you know, the mood uh, when you think of, of your next generation of um, 
potential leaders? Yeah, I guess can even be counterproductive. No, having so many summits and so few results then um, can be counterproductive, and it's no coincidence that usually before large summits you really try to make sure that there is a tangible outcome and there are lots of talks before but if you have one like every year it's of course very difficult at the same time we know time is running so there is huge pressure but yeah the, i mean the elephant in the room is china what <laughs> what can be done to get uh, china on board to yeah to still have uh, to still be able to meet the goal of 1.5 degrees of temperature increase mm. and and nothing happened on on that front and so this is very disappointing it's it's not surprising but it's still very disappointing and yeah fabian you, you were mentioning um that uh and you were corresponding uh on your chat group with all of the the swiss uh journalists uh who uh, were in sharm el-sheikh are in sharm el-sheikh what did you see of the Chinese media delegation? Uh, did you see uh, a lot of people from, obviously, the, the one main Chinese uh, television uh, network and uh, the likes of the China Daily, etc.? Was there you know, quite a sizable delegation of, of Chinese journalists there as well? No, I did not see them, um, especially in the first week. I'd, I'd say the Chinese delegation as well as their media were not really visible. But in the second week, um, it speed up, especially I think after the, the meeting between Biden and Xi at the G20 summit. And then you saw also like John Kerry taking the, the Chinese delegation to like background talks, stuff like that. So I think they are in talks, but of course they are not on board yet for the global climate um, path. Mm. Oliver, I think I know the answer to this, but you, you're calling China out uh, there. Do you think that we, the media, needs to be doing a, a better job of also calling China out on this. Because on, on one side, yes, you can read a story, you know, in a, in a financial daily talking about, you know, China giving hundreds of millions to build a new port uh, on the uh, west coast of, uh, of, of, of South America, of course, to uh, for, for, you know, to, well, to, to of course, uh, deal with the logistics of everything that's extracted uh, from the ground uh, and send it across the Pacific. Uh, of course, you know, we, we know um, the mining story uh, in, in Africa and elsewhere in, in general. So there's a lot of focus, you know, on, on Western companies and making Western companies behave uh, because there's a transparency and or at least a level of transparency. And it might be easier for the likes of, of Fabian and her colleagues to do it. But at the same time, you know, we know the names of these Western companies. We, but if you look at some of the, the top 10 mining companies in the world, I mean, China is, you know, right out there in front. Um, and no one is really talking about those companies per se. So we like to beat ourselves up. Yeah, and we need to really change incentive structures. I mean, you cannot, you, you must have uh, a level, uh, how do you say that? <laughs> um, so the, the playing field, right, must be fair also for Western companies. So you must give them positive incentives and you must give negative incentives to Chinese companies who are not uh, fulfilling to to some standards. And um, so I think very important will be what the EU is doing with this uh, import tax, CO2 import tax. Um, this could really be a bit of a game changer, I think. Um, because yes, I, I agree, we come to a point where you start harming your own economy um, by 
asking them for much higher standards than to the Chinese economy, and, and this is not the way how it's going to work. So we really must set um, smart incentives so that it uh, pays off for the European and, and now also for the US uh, business industries. Indeed. Um, time right now to head to, to the west coast of Europe, uh, and uh, that point would be Lisbon, uh, to speak to uh, Luis Cunha. Uh, he is the co-owner uh, of the bookshop, also fantastic magazine outlet, under the cover, uh, in the heart of uh, Lisbon. Uh, bom dia, Luis. Bom dia, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Uh, maybe uh, just uh, tell us, we're always interested, uh, whenever I'm in your store, uh, there's always something that you have found, even though I go to lots of bookshops and magazine stores uh, all over Europe and around the world, there's always things that, that you seem uh, to, to turn up that no one else does. Uh, tell us uh, what's what's interesting on your shelves right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think uh, the, basically the, our selection makes uh, the DNA of the store, no stories like any other. Um, we try to yeah pick our best uh, choices and, and also make them available to our customers. That's what we love to do. Um, actually, right now, selling quite well is Portugal, the Monaco Handbook, and that comes with no surprise uh, for us because you've done a great job, the team. Um, and Monaco has a legion of fans in Portugal, so <laughs> that's that. Um, but other than that, we have two uh, magazines. Uh, curiously, both of them are food-related. They are uh, performing quite well at the store right now. Uh, one of them is Farta. This is a Portuguese uh, magazine uh, that's trying to value, value uh, Portuguese popular cuisine, one dish at a time. Uh, the first issue is about Francesinha. It's uh, a dish they, it's very popular in uh, Oporto, in the north of Portugal. And it's basically a sandwich with lots of meat and hot sauce on top. Very, very high calorie. Um, and yeah, so it's all about the culture around the dish and uh, the history of the dish. Very well made. Um, uh, on a, another one, the Fair. Fair is a, a magazine uh, on food, community, and history. It's exploring one city at a time. Um, this issue is about Lisbon, so yeah, it's being very popular among locals, but also people visiting uh, the city. Um, it's quite nice because fair commissions local writer, writers and illustrators and photographers to produce the, the issue. Uh, so the result is quite nice. Uh, I think they've done a, a great job for this one. Now, j- um, j- just j- just changing tack, you've got, uh, so of course, uh, you- you've cited uh, t- two magazines, of course, uh, celebrating uh, food. Uh, and then there, there's, I've never heard of this one, uh, but you've got the title uh, Terrible People. Uh, wh- where does it come from and what is Terrible People about? Yeah, uh, Terrible People is a satirical magazine uh, talking about people's annoying behaviors in a funny and sarcastic way. Um, it's light reading, but it's also, uh, I mean, this is the cultural uh, aspect of it. Uh, as they explain, something can be accepted in one culture and not the other. Um, and also design-wise, the magazine is quite uh, interesting, has a lot of inserts, uh, amusing illustration, and then the the pages are uh, put together by an elastic strap. So it, it's 
quite a funny object, and and this issue, the latest issue, focuses on youth. So a lot of Gen Z uh, annoying behaviors being featured here. Oh, it must be run, must run to a thousand pages if it talks about Gen Z no, annoying behavior. <laughs> could be, could be, but yeah, that, I mean they 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 done a great job talking about how Gen Z is bringing back. Uh, uh, 90s and 2000s fashion and and music um, again and annoying all all the millennials like me because it's too soon <laughs> to do it. Um, and, 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 and also, go ahead. I was saying that uh, we also have a, 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 a magazine that is not out yet. It's uh, uh, coming tomorrow. Actually, it's the 15th anniversary issue of Apartamento, and that's been having a lot of hype even before the launch. Uh, it's also one of my personal favorite magazines. Um, this issue features um, Solange knows uh, an in, a big interview, a, a big interview, and also um, her home. Um, so, looking forward to that. Very good. Um, well, listen. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, we will uh, will swing by. Uh, Andrew uh, Tuck is going to be uh, we be with me, uh, Luis, uh, in in Lisbon on Tuesday, and we'll uh, we'll make sure we've got uh, some uh, some signed copies uh, for you to to sell uh, as well. And uh, look forward to to seeing you in uh, Lisbon. That's the uh, Luis Cunha, a co-owner of Under the Cover in Lisbon, uh, perhaps one of. Europe's uh, better be- uh, better bookstores. Uh, Oliver, you were laughing about uh, the book uh, "Terrible People" um, and uh, <laughs> and and Gen Z. Were, was w- did you want to contribute, or or was or was there one thing that you you were thinking that uh, there's an annoying behavior that you want to single out? Maybe. No, I just felt so much that it's just too soon <laughs> to bring back too soon for that book, or or the, the no, fashion, no, or the no, fashion the, component. Yeah, absolutely. So I I really feel that um, it's too soon to bring back the eighties. Yeah, uh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Fabian, do you have a view on that? Maybe I didn't experience the '80s. I'm too young. I'm born '92, so I'm 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 excited to to start channeling that. <laughs> Maybe anytime soon. I, I don't want to put our Emma Nelson on the spot, but Emma, if uh, if, if you're there, uh, I mean, listen, I, I think you've already been channeling the '80s anyway, haven't you? Um, not really, but I'll have a go. Um, I'm more '60s, but channeling the '80s, I'm not entirely sure what that means. If that means enormous hair, no, haven't quite done that, but I do have a pair of doc boots. Which is which are still loved. I am going to jump in on one annoying behavior. Maybe I'll, you you get this in in your school, but I was watching something on Bloomberg the other day, and it's the one thing which I never did noticed is how you have a generation speaking in real time about their generation. We as Gen Z believe this. And it's like this sort of anointed, sort of like everyone feels an anointed spokesperson for their generation, which I think is is rather curious. I don't know if you get that and it sort of clangs in your classrooms. Yeah, it's a, it's a very self-confident generation, right? I, I, I feel that a lot in the, in the lectures, yes. Okay, good. He's going to leave, leave there. Emmy's being rather diplomatic. I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> uh, park it uh, there. Fabian Kinzelman, uh, Oliver Stribus, Andrew Tuck, Emma Nelson, thanks very much. Also to James Chambers and uh, Luis Cunha uh, in Lisbon as well. Our producers today, uh, Desiree Bandley, also Emma Nelson in London. Our studio manager has also been Desi uh, here in Zurich. Uh, and uh, Christy Evans has been looking after all of the knobs, dials and switches for us uh, over in London. I'm Tyler Belay. Monocle on Sunday is going to be back at the very same time next week. Uh, Much from us uh, this week. Have a good week. Goodbye.